I want to, I, I just, uh, using the title remission, uh, what does it mean? There's terms that we see in the Bible, sometimes we read them, and then sometimes we read over them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, this is the New King James Version, says, Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And so we see these words in, in Hebrews 10 there, he's in context, he's talking about this new covenant. And in fact, the verse above that, he just said that, that this is the new covenant that I will make with them. And thank God for that new covenant where our sins are remembered uh, no more. And so if God's not remembering them, why are you wrestling over them? Listen to the Message Bible translation of those same two verses, and then I'll let you be seated. This is the Message translation of verse 17 and 18. He said, he concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, forgive me if this bothers you. There's probably hardly not a person or in here that somebody, either yourself or your family, hadn't been touched with a horrible disease called cancer in some way or another. You either wrestle with it yourself, known somebody, so forgive me for using this example, but I felt like I was supposed to. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, there's one word that you're hoping to hear from your doctor, and that's the word remission. You want to hear that word come out of his mouth. And uh, if that doctor will use that word, remission, then it means a major turn in your care and in your health. And in, in that medical aspect, there's two types of remission. The, medically, they call it, one of it partial remission. And what that means is the cancer is still there, but it's gotten smaller. There's not as much of it as they were. And it's something that you need to continually keep check on, though. But it's good news. Okay, And then there's the second type of remission uh, when you're dealing with cancer, and that's the one that you desperately want to hear your doctor say, and it's called complete remission. Sometimes they say total remission. And what that means is that there is absolutely no evidence of cancer in your body and that all signs of cancer are gone. Isn't that some good news? But there's also the word remission biblically, scripturally. And... Because the reason I gave you those two examples, because in, in the soul as that is in the natural body, partial remission, total remission, complete remission, that's the way it is in a lot of the church. Now, biblically, this is what the word remission means. It means the offender is treated as though the offense has never been committed. Well, that's some good news. It's called being justified. It also means this. It means the cancellation of a debt or a penalty. Uh, forgiveness, listen, forgiveness that is in the past. In other words, forgiveness that has already taken place in the Bible is called remission. Just like there's two types of remission when it comes to cancer, there's two types of remission, some say, when it comes to sin. And so there's a lot of folks, there's some churches, and a lot of us grew up in this, where they teach partial remission of your sins. Uh, but partial forgiveness is what you have, listen to me, if you think that there are things that you, you must do in order to stay or remain forgiven. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't do. When Jesus was on the cross, he did not cry out, it is half finished. Jesus did not cry out, it's almost finished. Jesus didn't say, I did my part, now it's up to you to do your part. Jesus didn't say any of that. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I have forgiven you, but just not completely. Jesus didn't say, I have forgiven you up to this point. Now from here on out, it's up to you to keep yourself forgiven. How many of us grew up with that wrong theology? Jesus didn't say that I've cleansed you, but you're going to get dirty again, so you'll have to keep yourself clean. Jesus didn't say that I've made you righteous, but you won't always be righteous because you can lose your righteousness. Jesus did not say that I give you the gift of eternal life, 
but really it's not eternal, it's temporary life. And it's really up to what you do to make it eternal or not. Now Jesus either gave us eternal life or he gave us temporary life. Right? Partial remission says that Jesus forgave us at the cross, but to stay forgiven, we need to forgive others. We need to confess our sins one by one, or we're not forgiven anymore. And we remain in an unforgiven state until we do something. Now, there's only one verse in the Bible, and I'm not going to waste my time this morning. We're wasting it, but I'm not going to take my time because I've done it so many times. And it's in 1 John 1 and 9 where it says, wait a minute now, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says that we're supposed to confess our sins. And he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of how much unrighteousness? How much of it? That one verse there is even proof that he's not talking to believers. Because when a believer becomes a believer, they are at that moment made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is that the Bible? So they don't have righteousness and then unrighteousness in the same house. Their spirit, man, has been more right. The Bible doesn't say that you always behave righteous or you act righteous. And you're not righteous by your performance. You're righteous by the act of Jesus and his shed blood. Righteousness is a gift. If it's a gift, you don't earn it. If it's a gift, you can't unearn it. Come on now. And so he's talking to unbelievers. He's talking to sin deniers in 1 John. He's talking to people who said that they have no sin. In other words, the sin issue is a mute point. It doesn't exist. And actually, he says that we know he's talking to unbelievers because he says that they make God out to be a liar. Because in other words, if, if sin as an entity doesn't exist, then God sent his son for a lie. Because Jesus came who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. So if the sin problem doesn't exist, then that means God's a liar. How many can see? And that's the only verse in the entire New Testament that anybody can remotely go to. Don't ever allow one verse that you think you know what it means to obscure the reality of 20 other plus verses that says that you have been forgiven. A lot of people don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. You ever heard that verse in the Bible? What does that mean? You need to be able to divide between the old covenant, which was the law, and the new covenant, which is grace. When Jesus came, he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. How many knows that's a verse in the Bible? So Jesus did what? He preached the law to those who were under the law. He preached the law to the Pharisees and the scribes who had diluted the law down to where it was not accomplishing what God sent the law to accomplish. And the law was our schoolmaster. The law was to bring us to Jesus. The law was to bring us to a point of hopeless desperation so that we would see our need for a Savior and that we would stop trying to obtain righteousness by our own performances. And that we, the law, would, it said, would shut the mouth of every per person who was dis displaying self-righteousness. And that we would surrender to a Savior who is the only one that can make us right with God. Can somebody say amen? amen. So that's what the purpose of the law was. The, the law, when you preach law to people, it doesn't make them sin less. The Bible says it makes them sin more. I wish somebody would read the Bible so when I say something out of it, you could say amen. <laughs> the Bible says the law aroused Sin in me, Paul said. Paul said, I would not even have known anything about covetedness unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Kind of like this. You make cookies. Kids don't know about it. You put them in the cookie jar. Kids come home from school. You said, there's cookies in the cookie jar. Don't eat any of them. Till after supper. Leave the room and watch what they do. All of a sudden, they didn't even think about cookies until you told them that there was a law that they couldn't eat the cookies. Now that you've told them there's a law that they can't eat the cookies, all they can think about is cookies. That's what the Ten Commandments do to you. That's what the law does to you. It brings you to a place of hopeless despair of you keeping the rules and being right with God. Jesus kept the rules on your behalf. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. The law's not the problem. The problem is us. We didn't keep the law. The law is good, Paul said, if one uses it lawfully. How is it lawfully to use the law? 
to sinners, they need the law to bring them to a place of utter desperation and hopelessness to know they need a Savior. But the Bible says once you have been born again, there's no need for the law to the believer. Because, listen, Romans says Christ is the end of the law to all those who believe. He's the end of it. Now, that really bothers people that's fighting tooth and toenail to get the Ten Commandments posted up everywhere from their front yard to the courthouse to the Supreme Court and everywhere else. Because they think if they throw the Ten Rules up, and they ain't a Christian in Valdosta that's keeping the Ten Commandments. Not a one of them. And if we didn't tell you they're keeping it, they're breaking one of them by line. <laughs> How do you know, Brother Dale, that they're not keeping the Ten Commandments? Because it says that from one, the only commandment of the ten that says remember and don't forget this one is the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Sabbath is not your Christian Sunday. The Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So this is how you keep the Sabbath. You don't go anywhere. You don't text, email, check your phone, get on Facebook, mow your yards, trim your shrubs, go out to eat. Clean your house, mop the floor, turn on the stove, walk more than, you know, a mile. You don't do any of that. And if you're doing any of that, you're not a Ten Commandment keeper. You're a Ten Commandment breaker. And the Bible says that if you break one commandment, you're guilty of how many? You're guilty of breaking all of them if you break one. So much for the Ten Commandments. Good morning. We're glad you're at Grace Point. Hallelujah. What commandment do we need? Jesus said, I'll give you a new commandment. That you love one another. For love is of God, and he that loves is of God. And anybody that says that they love God and love not their brother that they have seen is a liar. First John says, this is the love of God. Not that we loved him. That he loved us. See, he just defined for you there. I, you tell you, I thought the, you know, the definition of love was in 1 Corinthians 13. No, it doesn't. That's the characteristics of love. Love's not puffed up. Love didn't keep a record of wrong. Love's not proud. That's characteristics of love. That you call the love chapter 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, read it. But that's not what love is. Love is this. This is the love of God. Not that we loved him. But that he loved us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. God's the initiator, not you. You're not trying to talk God into something. For God so loved the world. God didn't love the world. He so loved it. There's a difference. And now he calls you the beloved of God. That means you be loved by God. That's what it means. That's what it means. Beloved, if you're the beloved, that means you be loved. God be loving on you. Come on, somebody. You're the beloved of the Lord. You're the beloved of God. Why? Because God gave his only begotten son. God is the initiator. God is the one. So some say, well, didn't Jesus say that if you forgive others, your heavenly father will forgive you, and then if you don't forgive others, then he won't forgive you? Yeah, he said that on the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because I just told you. He was born under the law. He was born under what covenant? The old covenant. He can't preach the new covenant yet. Because the new covenant, which is the new will, new covenant, new last will and testament, all the same. You can't get money from a person until they're dead. You greedy thing, you. You got to wait for them to die because the will... No matter how many times your name is in it, is no good. You can't inherit, you can't receive what's in the will until they did. So when does the New Testament start? It does not start in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. I know it says that on the front of your page before you flip and it goes to there. It is the New Testament in the sense that that's the 27 books that make up the New Testament. But the New Testament itself, the new covenant itself, the will of Jesus, the will of God, does not go into effect until there's been a death, Romans says, 
of the one who wrote the testament. So there, there's no will, no receiving of the benefits of the will until blood has been shed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no what? See, there's a word, no what? Remission, which means your past sins already stamp paid in full. You have been remitted. Your sin has been remitted. If you send a remitted sin, you're paying a debt that's owed. You understand that? So Jesus, when he shed his blood at that moment, from then on, then we get uh, everything, everything radically changes. Because listen, not only on that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, long sermon Jesus preached that day. He said things like this in that sermon. He said, now you have heard it said that the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. And they were all sitting there thinking, well, I ain't, I'm not guilty of that one. I'm good on that one. Check. Because they hadn't actually committed adultery with somebody physically. But Jesus said, but I say unto you that if you ever looked at a person and lusted after them, you're guilty of adultery. Uh-oh. Everybody became an adulterer in the crowd. I need somebody to get up off my neck and say amen. Jesus said, you have heard it said in the law that thou shalt not hate. Thou shalt not murder is actually what he said. But I would say unto you that if you've ever hated a person, you are guilty of murder. Does anybody know that what Brother Dale is saying is the Bible? Then say amen to it. Okay, so Jesus said everybody in that crowd then all of a sudden become murderers. You see how Jesus was preaching. Listen to me. People don't like this. Jesus was preaching hopelessness. Who, who, to people who were trying to make themselves righteous by their deeds. Paul said Israel has a zeal for God. They're very zealous for God, but not without. They said they don't have knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Because he said they, they have set aside the righteousness of God trying to obtain their own righteousness by their works. It is useless and futile. For you and I to think that we can do something to earn the favor of God. If you did something to earn it, it wouldn't be grace. And it wouldn't be favor. That is the, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other man-made religion in the world. Is they all have to do penance. They have to do something. They have to crawl somewhere, give something, cut themselves, do something to try to earn their forgiveness. Hearing a Muslim man the other day in Islam, religion of Islam, talking and, 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 and he and, and he's, lives in the Middle East and he said that before, uh, and he's now a believer, thank God. But he said they have all these mosques and, and, and prayers. And I've, when I traveled to Bulgaria, we was in near Turkey, and which is Turkey totally uh, an Islamic nation, and, and, and even in Bulgaria. And we'd be in the airport, and, and at a certain time, uh, they would kneel and put their rug out. And turn towards Mecca and, and to the, what they call the holy city. And they would make their prayers unabashed, un, unmoved by anybody else's presence or what you thought about it. You can't even get Christians hardly in America to say blessing over the food without just rubbing their forehead like, yeah, okay, I'm going to thank you, Lord, for the food. They're so ashamed to be seen praying. Big difference, isn't it? But even in that, you have to do... Penance, you have to do service. And he said, depending on how good I've done during the week, he said, if I'd done really bad, then I would walk to the furthest mosque I would, could go to. In other words, I would make my, myself pay a greater price to get to, to the prayer, to the mosque, because I'd had a bad week. If I'd had a better week, I would go to the closer mosque. And then even that, you're having to do something to inherit what they say the blessing and even then the blessing is wrapped up in sensuality and sin and all of that, you know. And all, the, all these, all, that's what all these religions are. All these religions are. And a lot of that has crept into the church. There's been a, most of us, if we've been in any church at all. And, and I grew up like this. I don't mean like I'm at the top of the mountain and got it all figured out. But I grew up under a mixture of law and grace being preached to me. I grew up being said, well, now that you've been saved, you've, you know, God's forgive you from all your sins from their back. 
Where'd you get that from? The Bible says when John saw Jesus coming before he baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? That takes away the sin of the world. Did he take it away or not? Did that include yours? The Bible says that Jesus became the propitiation. That's a big word for the satisfying sacrifice. The appeasing sacrifice. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the and see, this is what rocks people's mind right here. Listen to me. Brother Dale, you talk about this all the time. Thank you. That's a compliment. I appreciate it. But let me tell you something. This is one of the most important things. If you ever get this down and you ever believe this message I'm preaching to you, that you are totally, you see a Christian that's happy, fruitful, going about their lives, you see a Christian that knows they've been forgiven. You see a Christian that's miserable, goes into despair and depression and fighting all these emotional problems. They don't know they've, they've been accepted into the beloved. They don't know that they've been forgiven. They're still trying to deal with sins that, are only, that, that God don't even remember. I used to spend my half or more of my total effort in Christianity dealing with what I consider to be my sin problem. Everybody told me, when you go to God, you got the first thing you got to do. You know, got to clean the slate. Father, I just ask you to forgive me all my sins, all my sins that I've done, all of them that I know that I've done, all of them that I know that I don't done, all, all of them that I willfully done. Listen, every sin you've ever done is willful. <laughs> and by the way, Christians only confess what they perceive to be sin. You know what the Bible calls sin? Unbelief. You ever confess that one? No, you didn't confess that one because you don't see that one as sin. Man, if we're down to us having to confess each... See, I was told that if I didn't confess every single sin I've ever committed and the rapture happened, I'd be left. What a miserable existence. Because now salvation is not dependent upon the Lord, it's dependent upon me and my memory. Do you know all the tears that you can muster and all the wailing and moaning and crying out of your mouth will not forgive one sin? I've already told you that there's only one thing that forgives sin and that's blood. Jesus, and we're going to take communion here in just a second. Jesus held up a cup and he said, this is my blood. This is my blood of the new covenant for the remission of sin. What made sin go away? The problem, the penalty. You say, well, we still have sin. No, you still do sin. Because you believe a lie of the enemy. But God's not whipping you, and you're not going through hell, you're not going through financial problems, you're not going through sickness, because God's paying you back. You might be going through all of that, but it's not because God's doing it to you. If I stick my hand in a fan, God didn't do it to me. I'm, I'm paying a price with my fingers cut off of a bad decision that I made. It's not God doing it to you. If you can receive it, some of the best news I ever got the chance to preach now is that God's not mad with nobody. And in fact, the Bible says, I'll never be angry with you again. Never. So anybody that preaches or teaches to you an angry God or presents an angry God, they're lying to you. They might be mad because they didn't get their cup of coffee before they left the house to go to church, but it's not God. I remember sitting in churches, in Pentecostal churches when I was young, and hearing a guy, you know, give out a message in tongue. And I believe in all that. Give out a message in tongue and interpret it. You know, and, and just come, it'd be like God would just, you know, God going to kill people. I mean, I thought he was going to kill somebody in the service before the service was over. He was so mad. Really? And, uh, I mean, you know, and, and this was a particular church that I was actually going to as a guest speaker preaching. And every time I would ever go there, this one guy would speak in tongues and then turn around and interpret his own message. And I mean, God was ticked off, man. God would give warnings of death and destruction. And, and you know, and, and, and I've called you many times and you've refused. And therefore, I've, you know, let me hear my hear, he'd come. And I told that pastor on the second time that occurred, I said, you're going to have to do something with that guy. I said, first off, it's hard to preach behind that. Because he's got them all sitting there. Shaking and trembling. God is not a God with a club. If God wanted to kill you, you'd already be dead. You'd wake up dead. You would, I mean, you wouldn't even see the bullet coming. It's ridiculous. If God was going to kill, well, God killed him in Acts 5 and Ananias is the fire. You and the devil are alive. It never says that in the Bible. Preachers have told you that, that God killed Ananias is fire in the well, why do you stop killing people? I know a bunch of people need to be killed. <laughs> I 
Why don't you just pick on them two? I know people done a whole lot worse in church than them two. They still breathing air. Well, something killed them. Sin kills. Wages of sins, what? God ain't killing people. God's not a mafia hit boss to, you know, kill one and then make all the rest of the troops, you know, tighten up. I mean, God ain't doing that. God's not doing that. God told him one time in Genesis, he said, man, I, Abraham, you're my friend, bro. I got something on my heart that is just so hard to try to put it into words. But I want to share it with you. You know that boy that you, a hundred years old, believed me, and didn't believe me at times before, but now you have him. His name's Isaac, which means laughter because Sarah laughed when you went home and told her you was going to have a baby. And then even you laughed too. But yet, I'll have the last laugh. So they named the boy Laughter. That's what Isaac means, laughter. Isn't that something? And he said, take your son, listen, your only son, whom you love, up to the mountain that I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice. Wow. That's the first time the word love appears in the Bible. It's not between a man and a woman. It's between a father and a son. And so there's two servants that go with him. Anybody see the cross here, two thieves? And he says, Abraham stops halfway up the mountain and he says to these two servants, you stay here while me and the lad go yonder and worship. See, sacrifice is worship. And if you ain't sacrificed, you ain't worshiped. He said, we're going to go up there and worship. And then he said this, amazing faith. He said, me and the lad will return to you again. I thought he was going up there to offer him as a sacrifice. You know what this meant? It meant he was going to slit his son's throat like a sheep. And then not only was he going to slit his throat, then he was going to split his chest open and separate intestinal parts and this. And then he would move some parts away and then he would burn his son's flesh on a fire till it was nothing but ashes. That's what he went up there to do. Three days, it said, the journey was up there. How many days was Jesus in the cross? I mean, in the tomb three. Gets on top of the mountain. Isaac, at this point, is a young teenage son, which means that he can whoop his hundred-and-something-year-old dad if he needed to. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm telling you, I'm going to have to have revelation myself before I'm going to let myself be tied, bound, and put on. That meant that Isaac, in typology, cooperated with his father because he trusted his father that much. It's amazing. Lays him on the altar. He, even the son said, said, Dad, I see the fire. I see the knife. Where is the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham looked and said, he couldn't see nothing yet. He said, the Lord shall provide. And your Bible says this, the Lord shall provide for himself a lamb. Bad translation. All it says in the original in Hebrew is, says, the Lord shall provide himself. God's saying there, I'm going to be the lamb. Ties him and lays it on, raises the knife up and goes to come down to slit his throat. And the, not a, the angel of the Lord, which is none other than Jesus Christ, making a pre-incarnate appearance. You understand what I mean by that? He comes because that angel says, now I know that you love me. No angel will receive adoration or worship from a man. That was Jesus, pre-incarnate. He said, now I know. That you love me because you've not withheld your son from me. But he said, do not touch a hair on the boy's head. Don't touch him. There would be another father 4,000 years later that would lead his son up another mountain, another hill. This same son would be bound he would cooperate with his father because of his love and trust for him. And the knife would raise up, but there would be no call to stop it. Because God the Father would sacrifice his own son for sin. I say to you that unless and until we start receiving the son who has been sacrificed... 
we will continue to offer our own sons and daughters on the altars of this world until we receive the sacrifice of the one son that has been offered on our behalf. God shared with his friend what would be ahead for him. He let Abraham feel. He didn't know it was a test. He didn't know that God was going to stop him. But that's why Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. What did he see? Resurrection. Abraham believed God that even if he took his son's life, that God somehow would raise him up. He believed God. Jesus said in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, down toward the end of the chapter, he said, this is the message that should be preached. If you have the verses, you can put them up. But this is the message that you should preach. He said, you should, this should be preached, the remission of sins and repentance. When a Christian hears the word repent, what do they normally think of? They think of crying and telling God how sorry they are. But what does the Bible mean when it uses the word repent? It means what? Change the way you think. So Jesus says that, 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 that remission and repentance should be preached. See, Jesus, this is, he, he was the first one after the resurrection to say this, to make this declaration. He said, preach on, change the way you think about everything now, because everything's different. And he said, what we have now is go and preach remission. Go preach remission. Peter obeyed that command to preach this sermon in Acts 10 at Cornelius' house. Remember? And so Peter goes there. Interesting story. Don't have the time how he gets there. But once he gets there and gets into his talk, his preaching, he makes this one statement. He says that all of you that are here, your sins are remitted. You have received remission if you believe on him. Ain't nobody even prayed. Ain't nobody said boo. How are their sins already dealt with? He said, that's the message to preach. And listen what the Bible says. It said, and when Peter had spoken these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. How many knows that God could fall on them when he wanted to? But how many knows what was it the words that made him fall upon them? When he said, your sins have been remitted to everybody here that believes on him. You remember the guy I've told you this? I love this. They tore the roof off to lower the paralyzed guy in. The guy, he said, boo, bow, nothing. He's laying there on a stretcher. He's paralyzed. Bad physical situation. Jesus was in the middle of a nice sermon. He stopped. It had to. You have to. If somebody starts tearing a hole in the roof, I would stop preaching. <laughs> I would go see what this guy's doing up there. I mean, these sheetrock's falling on me. Jesus stops his sermon, and, the, and, and this is what he looked at that man, and he said, sir, son. Actually, he said, man. It actually, anyway. He, anthropology, he said man. Was mankind is the word that he used. But he was looking at that guy. He said, man, your sins are, not will be, not if you confess them one by one, not if you do this or do that. He said, your sins are forgiven, in case you're confused, you. Man ain't prayed, man ain't said nothing. But Jesus said, your, your sin problem is taken care of. Why? Because I'm here. Do you know why that man probably stayed paralyzed as long as he did and didn't get his, receive his healing? It's because if you think you've got sin and you think God's mad with you, how do you think, if you can't even believe God that he's forgiven you, how are you going to believe God's going to heal you? How can you believe that God would even use you to lay hands upon the sick and see him recover if you feel like you're still dealing with all these problems and God's mad with you? See how that See what a horrible thing. I believe the sin, the, the, one of the greatest diabolical teachings that the church has ever released is you've got to confess your sins one by one. If you're not, you're not forgiven. And they leave people in this state of depression and despair and, and wrestling over stuff that God says you've, it's all been taken care of. And I've told you this over and over. Sin is a noun after the cross, not a verb. Sin is a thing. The first time the word sin appears in Genesis, it's not a verb, it's not an action. It's a noun. What does that mean? You remember a noun, right? Person, place, or thing? Under the law, it's a verb. Eye for an eye. You forgive people, then I'll forgive you. If you don't, I won't forgive you. But after the cross, Paul said, forgive others because as you yourself have been forgiven by Christ. You have been forgiven. 
You don't believe in you believe that you should forgive? Absolutely, I believe you should forgive people. I, absolutely, but that's but if if you hold something in your heart, I'm not saying it's wise. It's it's not going to do well for you. It's going it's going to bother you. Forgiveness is not for God. It's for you to forgive somebody else that's hurt you. It ain't like it's got God bound up. But if you got somebody that you hadn't forgiven from your heart, you you're the one thinking about them every day. You're the one dealing with it. You're the, you know you're the one that is eating your lunch. I mean it's you know it's messing you up. It's to your benefit to forgive people, but you're not going to miss heaven because you don't. I'm not encouraging unforgiveness, but we're not under law anymore. You you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. So today, when you take this communion, I want you to remember what Jesus said when, when, when Jesus held up this cup. And I know we got little cups, but we got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks to, to feed. He held it up and he didn't say this, that this is what you always hear in church. This represents the blood of Jesus. Are you saying it doesn't? All I'm saying, I just want to say what Jesus said. I just want to do it like the Bible. I, I don't have to try to understand, figure out. I mean, it's not my job. There's, there is some faith involved in this thing. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And the word there is a noun. Sin is a noun. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to shed my blood. The old law is over with. Grace is here. The Father will forgive the sin of the world. That's why every person out here running around in this world that doesn't know this, they're such at a disadvantage. They don't know that God's not mad with them, that the pain that they're going through in their life is not, he's not the author of it. That he's not angry with them. He has forgiven them. Does that mean they're saved, Brother Dale? No, I didn't say that. To as many as received him. Now listen to me. In a moment, you're going to be called on and given, listen, an opportunity. You're grown in here. You can get up and go out the back door and never partake of what's on this table. It's your choice. You can go, I want to go get a burger, take off. It's your, it's, it's, hey, it's America. You, you get a choice. But to as many as want to receive the communion, they're going to get to come up here and receive it. That's how salvation is. The blood of Jesus has been shed. His body has been broken. But it's up to you. Boy, when I was young in church, communion time scared me to death. After them preachers got through dimming the lights and giving horror stories, I didn't want to take communion for nothing. When Jill and I first started dating, I, uh, you know, I knew I wasn't, I, my theology was so screwed up, but I got born again when I was 12 and the Baptists have always had that right. You, you don't get born but one time, okay? You might be far away, and you, but you're still a son if you're in a hog pen, you're still a son. He was a prodigal son when he, I mean, he was a son when he left house. He was a son on his way to the pig pen. He was a son while he was in the pig pen. And he was a son while he was coming back to the father's house smelling like a hog. The whole time he's still a son. Don't you worry about trying to get a stamp on their forehead, what stage they're at in their life. Don't sin matter. Sure it matters. Don't do it. It's bad. It hurts people. But God's already bore the penalty of Listen, God's not punishing you because if, if Jesus bore our punishment, and the Bible's so clear on that over and over, if Jesus bore the punishment of sin, he became sin. How do you think you're being punished for the same sin? How is a judge in Valdosta going to sentence two different people for the same crime and send both of them to prison? You've got to decide which one you're going to punish. You can't send two men to prison for the same one crime. If Jesus bore sin, then you're not being punished because God's punishing you. There are consequences to bad decisions. I told you if I robbed a bank, they're going to lock me up. It ain't God locking me up. It's about off the PD. God's not punishing you. He already punished his son. His blood has been shed. Why do you talk about this so much? Because I don't matter how much I talk about it, people still don't believe it. It's news that is too good a news to be true. That's what the good news means. The word gospel means what? 
I just preach good news. Isn't there some bad news? Yeah, a lot of it. But God didn't call me to be a preacher of bad news. He told me to preach the good news. The Bible says that every preacher should be a preacher of the ministry of reconciliation. That's what the New Testament says that every preacher should preach. That God was in Christ reconciling the sin of the world unto himself. God says, I'm the only one that can fix this. So God made a vow and a covenant and promise to God. God promised Jesus. He went into a covenant with God. He said, I, I can't go into more covenants with Abraham. I can't go into a covenant with Isaac and Jacob because they can't ever keep their covenant. So I make a covenant with myself. Two immutable things which cannot lie. God. And he made an eternal covenant. And he said, you know what? I'm going to remove the sin debt. The Lamb of God will take away sin. God says, I'm not angry. Now this is what he tells you to tell people. Be reconciled to God because God's already reconciled sin on your behalf. God's not mad with you. Well, how do I receive the benefit? By coming to Christ. How am I going to receive communion? By coming front, coming here. You're going to be offered something. You'll either partake of it. Nobody's going to, nobody, no usher is going to put you in a headlock and shove communion juices down you. When Jill and I was dating, I went to her little Baptist church with her one night, and they offered communion. I was the only person in that little Baptist church that refused communion. Because I was raised Pentecostal, and they were scared of Hades out of you. I just knew if I took communion that night, that God would kill me dead right here in that back pew. And I remember when the guy, they passed the communion, the guy looked at me like, you're not going to take the Lord's Supper? I mean... Are you kidding? Did you just hear what the preacher said? He told us to examine ourselves. He told us to search our heart for sin. He told us if we found any, we was to confess it. And that we, we, if we partook of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, that God would kill us right there. Because Paul said, for this very reason, many of you are weak and sick, and some of you even are dead. Is it? The Bible says when we do this, we do this, those that are helping me serve, come on. We do this in remembrance of me. Is that what Jesus said? He said, as often as you do this, as you drink the cup and eat the bread, you do this in what? Remembrance of what? Remembrance of who? Remembrance of who? Jesus. How many times did we took communion and we, what would we remember at communion? What do we try to remember? Our sin. Ourself. When Paul said examine yourself, he wasn't saying examine yourself for sin because then Paul would be preaching a contradictory message. Paul was saying examine yourself, listen to me, in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, why does it say, Brother Dale, that many will be weak and sick and some have even died? He said because they've partaken of the, the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Do you know how you partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner? You could say that his blood really didn't take away your sin. That now the only thing that takes away your sin after you've been saved, is your confession. You know what you just did with that? You said the blood of Jesus is not that great. It only took away part of my sin. Now my confession and crying and being sorrowful is what takes away my sin from here on out. And you nullify the work of the cross. That is partaking of the Lord's blood in an unworthy manner. You're saying it really didn't accomplish what God said it would accomplish. It didn't take away the sin of the world. When Paul said examine yourself, he's saying look at yourself now with new eyes. In light of the sacrifice that's been made on your behalf. That you, are, you have sin no more. God's not mad with you because of sin. Because Jesus took it away. Look at yourself in the light of that sacrifice. Receive his broken body for you. Receive the blood that was shed for the remission of your sin. See what I'm talking about, if you, you, know, if you just flopped in here out of the some other church, I mean, you're going like, that's heresy. That's why I have to talk about it more than one Sunday. I get to talk about it more than one Sunday. Because once this issue is settled in your heart, and you walk out of here knowing, you know what? Jesus' blood took away the sin of the world. Are we capable of sinning? Yeah, but you don't enjoy it very much if you've been really born again. You won't enjoy it for long. Not if you're really born again. But what you don't do now is you don't run and hide from God like Adam and Eve did when you sin. You run to him. And when you sin now, you make the confession not so much of your sin, but you make the confession that I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That's not who I am anymore. 
And you live out of that revelation. And you know what you'll find yourself? You're, you'll find a power that you never found before. Because sin, you're not under the dominion of it anymore. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Listen to me. To the degree that sin's your problem is to the degree that you're with a mixed gospel. You've got you some grace and law mixed in there together. You've got a mixed drink. But the pure, undiluted grace of God removes sin. You'll have a lot more prayer time to talk to God about things that really matter because you're not talking to him about things that he's already done. Examine yourself, not for sin, but in light of the sacrifice that's been made on your behalf. What did his blood accomplish? It took away all my sin. What did his body being broken by his stripes? You were what? Healed. Last time I did communion, it was the last time I did communion. I, don't, I guess it, I don't know if it's a Christmas or not. Then the last time we did communion in here, there's a couple of people in here that know about this. We're going to keep this private because of the sake of the person. But there's several people in here that know about what I'm supposed to say to you. But the last time I gave communion, and I, and I went to a lot more detail of of sharing like the truth of communion. This man came in here with cancer. He came in here with what I understood was told that day, four, stage four cancer. After the service, I was asked by a person to join with them in praying for this man. And I did not know exactly what we were praying for, but I knew it, was, it had to be of, of, of some great importance. And then the man that we were to pray for actually made this statement to his friend. And, and of course, I was standing there. He said, I came in here with something, but I'm leaving with nothing. That was the statement he made. And I thought as a preacher, well, that ain't too good. I want him to come here with nothing and leave with something. But then I was thinking about what he said. And then after the service, I was told that he had cancer, stage four cancer. And so he was in the service. And he did just what we're supposed to do. He received communion. But as, as I had portrayed communion to him that day, it enabled him through faith to receive what grace had freely provided. And that was by his stripes, you were healed. Now, I know some of you ain't going to understand this. You're not going to understand this, but I, I, I at least just need to say it because some of you do understand it. Jesus Christ, listen to me. Jesus Christ is not going to forgive any human today on earth. He's not going to forgive anybody today. No matter how much they beg or plead for him to forgive them. Now, I know that sounds like heresy. Just give me a chance, okay? That just, we were so far from scripture when did that forgiveness happen 2,000 years ago on the cross because when did it happen bloodshed when, listen when you understand that the only means the commodity the currency of forgiveness is not your wailing crying moaning or tears is blood and so if you don't have blood being shed there is no forgiveness the Bible's clear on that when was the last time Jesus shed any blood 2,000 years ago. That's the last time he forgave anybody. Now, I didn't say that's the last time people received it. So what will happen today, people will receive that sacrifice, and they today, in the month of April, aren't we, they will receive the benefit of that sacrifice, and they will enjoy that forgiveness themselves. But as far as God forgiving them, he did that 2,000 years ago. Now, do you see that? Now, now listen. For all of you that get mad at me, and you do because you email me, but I have a great delete button. For all of you that try to convince me and yourself that God don't forgive of future sins, how many of your sins were future 2,000 years ago? Okay. If I wasn't afraid of damaging my mic, I'd have just dropped Did that or something. That was a good place to just drop the mic and walk off. Now, now listen, I can tell every time I say that now, it's going down better here. You're, you're going like, yay. Now listen, this is one that don't go down quite as good. On that same Jesus, on that same cross, on that same day, by his stripes, you were healed. Now, now listen, God's not going to heal anybody today. Your healing's not up to God deciding to heal you. Well, I believe I'll just reach down and I'll heal Billy Ray today because he wore a yellow shirt and God says I really like yellow because it reminds me of the sun. 
So I believe I'll heal him today, but you know, I'm not going to heal this person. Is that the way God is? Does he just decide to heal this one and skip this one and do this? No. That's why you, that's why churches made him out to be. That's, that's a lie. In other words, let me ask you this. Did Jesus shed his blood for everybody to be saved? You know, when Jesus said, it's not my will that any should perish, all should come repentance, that means he wants everybody saved. Is that right? Will everybody get saved? No. Because they won't receive their salvation, will they? But is God deciding if they're going to get saved or not? People come up to me, oh, Brother Dale, would you pray for my husband? I've been praying for him for 28 years and God hadn't saved him yet. And I'm like, no, I won't pray for that. She's like, what? Because, see, you're making out like it's up to God to save your husband. God saved your husband 2,000 years ago on the cross. The problem with him, your husband not salvation is not on God's end, it's on his end not receiving it. Now, what we can pray is that his heart will be softened, that more people will come and witness to him or whatever. You know, we don't have to pray that he get in a train wreck and be dangled over hell on a rotten stick right before he's about to die, he can receive Jesus. God don't do that. He don't beat you into to the... To, mm -mm. Do you understand that? So if you believe that everybody that will receive salvation can receive it and that God wants it, that, do you agree with that? Okay, why can't you agree with it with the healing? By his stripes, you what? Were. When was were? 2,000 years ago. So God said, I've, I'll take care of all this, this uh, sickness and disease. I know this is hard for you to... Because we can receive forgiveness easier than we can receive physical healing because physical healing becomes such a part of us. It becomes so real, so tangible, even more than so than our sins. But when you understand that God's a good God and it's not his will and God didn't put any sickness on you, God didn't allow you to have cancer, God's not allowing you to have problems so that he can try to teach you a lesson. You don't do that to your children, God won't do it to his. God's better than that. If you do that to your kids, they'll lock you up in the state of Georgia. If you don't accuse God of child abuse. You can just say, I don't understand, but don't blame it on God. And I know churches preach to you that everything happens God's will and that, you know, and, and God just, you know, well, he didn't cause it, but he allowed it. Same thing, dude. If, I, if, if my child gets run over and the police come and I say, yeah, I mean, I knew they was going to get hit. I've been, you know, I've I just been allowing them to play in the street. I mean, they've been playing, excuse me, they've been playing in the street more than today. Yeah, they, probably about a month they've been playing in the middle of the road. But I, I did, you know, I didn't tell them to play in the road, but I allowed it. I knew I wanted them to, you know, learn a lesson. Well, they learned something when that truck ran over. Now you can be closer to them, you know, because they're going to be in a hospital and you can hold them more and all and, you know, learn about love and all. Hey, don't think that's strange. You, people preach that mess all the time. It's the Lord's will. Well, the Lord took our baby. He needed a flower for the bouquet table of heaven. So the Lord took a, he wanted another angel in heaven. You'll never be an angel. Anybody says that, you're not, God's got, you're not in the class. Angels are a whole different class of being. You're not an angel. You never will be. Paul said you'll judge angels. You're not going to be one. If God needed another angel, he ain't going to kill somebody on earth and take you to heaven. I don't care what Dr. Popsicle preached in the pulpit. It's a lie. And it makes people hate God. It's fine for you sitting there as a visitor, but what about mom and dad that's looking at a casket about this long? And you get up there behind it and say, God took their baby. Don't question him. He's sovereign. He never makes a mistake. That's impugning the name of God. God's not in control. I hear that all the time. Lord's in control. I know that. Well, you don't know something then. Because God's not in control of everything that happens on planet earth. Because the earth he's given to the sons of men. The Bible says God said the devil's under control of the, of the earth. Prince and power of the air. God's not, devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God don't steal and kill and destroy. I need to preach out again sometime. God good, devil bad. Don't confuse who's doing what. I don't have all the answers. I can't explain every life circumstance or situation, but I do know this. God is not the author of evil. God doesn't kill. God doesn't destroy. God gives life. God gives it more abundantly. When the first murder happened, listen, when the first murder happened, when Cain murdered Abel, here comes God. Did he kill Abel? I mean, did he kill Cain? Why didn't he kill him? He should have busted a cap in him right there. Oh, you killed Abel? How about that? That'll teach you something. What did God do? He protected him. You ever hear people talk about God's so holy he can't behold sin? God can't look at sin. You ever hear that? 
When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God come every day, right? And cool eating and walk with them. Did they sin in the garden? I'm asking you, did Adam and Eve sin? So God never came back then, right? Because he can't look at sin. Can't be around sin. So God never came to the planet again, right? Is that how the story goes? You even scared to say it. God came in the cool of the evening right on time. They hiding, dipping and diving. But he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't think he was lost. He's trying to get Adam and see where he is. Listen, God ain't scared of sin. It'd be like a farmer saying, I've got cows and I'm scared of poop. <laughs> if you got cows, you're going to have something coming out the back end. Farmer ain't going to be shocked. <laughs> Look at there what they did to my pasture. If you have humans, you're going to deal with problems and sin. God's like, I can't look at it. I'm too holy. No, God came and said, come here, son. Now, who told you you were naked? I tweeted this the other day. It matters profoundly what you were told from the pulpit. Somebody has to tell you you're naked for you to believe you're naked. That's a whole other sermon. Don't you love Jesus? I want you to stand with me. Your sins have been remitted. I guess I'll keep this when I handle this so much. Your sins and mine and the sins of the world have been remitted. How many knows what remission means now? I want you to receive from the table of the Lord. And I want you to examine yourself in the light of that you've been forgiven. In the light of that God loves you so much that he gave his very life for you. I want you to do this not in remembrance of your past or remembrance of any sin because God don't remember it. So what are we to do this in remembrance of? Jesus said, remember me. I don't know how many communion services I took and I remembered myself, my sin, my failures. That's the wrong communion service and that's the wrong target of communion. This table is for you to remember him. And I've tried my best to preach him to you today. God's not mad with you. He loves you and he's forgiven you. Can I still talk to him about my sin? You can talk to God about anything you want to talk to him about. He's a good listener. And he loves you. But don't think that you have to do something to make yourself right. The only person that could ever make you right with the Father is Jesus. He's the only one. And if you've received by faith his sacrifice, you are now right with God, which means you've been made righteous. Not symbolically, but in your spirit, you are the righteousness of God. You may still struggle some in the flesh, but that's not who you are. That's not your identity any longer. So receive communion today. Father, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We receive the blood. We receive the bread, the body. We receive you. We remember you. We don't look at our sin because they are no more. We look at our Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus. We become Christ conscious, not sin conscious. We behold you in the splendor of what you accomplished on the cross through your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. If you'll begin in this section, go here. This section, of course, come here. Same on this side. Go ahead and start from the front row. If you'll receive it, we will take it together quickly, and this will be our dismissal. As we receive communion today, you receive the bread and the wine and then go back to your seat and we'll take it as a family together quickly. Had a lot going on today, but we're glad for it, aren't you? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
get us ready just a moment I don't want to leave you hanging listen to me I wanted to wait to this moment to say this to you remember I told you this man came into our service with stage 4 cancer and he made a statement of faith a, a confession out of his mouth in other words when he was confessing the Bible says the word confession means to just agree with God that's what it means to agree with God Romans 10 9 and 10 the word confession there is used there's no sin doesn't even exist Sin doesn't even exist. When you see the Roman centurion, I mean, the guy that in the jailer, when Paul and, and uh, Barnabas were in jail, and that guy said, what must I do to be saved? Notice Paul didn't say, repent of your sins. Well, he didn't even mention sin. Why? Because sin's not the issue anymore. The only issue now is putting your faith in Jesus, believing in what his sacrifice accomplished. All Paul told the guy was, believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. See how much quicker that is than the way the church does it? They like close your eyes, bow your head, repeat after me, say the sinner's prayer. None of that's in the Bible. I said none of that's in the Bible, y'all. Because sin's not the issue. Romans 10, 9 and 10, classic. Believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and you'll be saved. Sin's never mentioned. Why? Because sin's not the issue. Sin's not your problem. Your problem is you don't you put faith and trust in Jesus and what his sacrifice accomplished on the cross. We have minimized what Jesus really did. He really did. It is finished. He finished it. It is the finished work of Jesus. And you put your faith in that, then you'll begin to receive more benefits of that sacrifice. So that man left out of here totally healed, and he's healed today. No cancer in his body. Stage four cancer gone as he received the communion that day of the Lord. And that's the truth. He received that. When he received bread, he received more than a little piece of a cracker. If you esteem this as a little piece of unleavened bread, and that's all it is, that's all you get from it. But if you esteem this as the body of Jesus Christ, that Jesus broke, his, his body was broken for us. Not a bone, but he said he was broken. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sin. And you know that he accomplished that. It's not up to you anymore. All he wants you to do is believe in that. 
believe that I, Jesus told that man sick of the palsy. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. I thought the guy came for physical healing. Here is Jesus talking to him about his sin. And then they got mad. You know what the church does when they hear me preach? They get mad. Thank you. You put me in the category of Jesus. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Man, your sins are forgiven you. They said, who can forgive sin but God only? Jesus said, which is easier? For me to say to this man, the sick of the palsy that is paralyzed, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say to him, arise, take up thy bed and walk. You know which is easier? It's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. It's harder to look to a paralyzed person to say, take up your bed and walk. Jesus is saying part of the problem is that we don't receive our healing and other benefits from the Lord. It's because we think God's mad with us and we think the sin, that we think we're on the stretcher because we deserve to be on the stretcher. We think we're suffering because we deserve to be suffering. We, we think that we deserve this. Jesus said, no, your, your sin is no longer an obstacle of, for me doing good to you. Under the old covenant, yeah. But under the new, no. Your sin is no longer an obstacle. It's no longer a barrier between me and my love for you. It's not based on you anymore. It's not based on your sin. It's based on my son. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his sacrifice. It's not based on your obedience. It's based on his obedience. Because he was obedient, the Bible says, all the way to the cross. And when you put your faith in that message, your life changes radically. Your joy increases. Your peace increases. You're a happier person. You live lighter. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God said, I didn't come to put nothing heavy on you, man. I took your sin. I took your sickness to the cross. Feeling some of that Pentecostal coming back on me. I love you guys. Take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat. Lord, we receive all that your broken body purchased. And then in the same moment, it said he held up the cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, the new will that is shed, the remission of your sins because of this shed blood. Receive that cup. Lord, we're so thankful. Do you know what grace done for me and does for me? Pass them to the end and we'll pick them up. I have found a God that is so much better than the church ever told me he was. His grace is much better. His love is far better. Amen. Now, we don't try to keep you this normally this late, but we had a lot going on. How many forgive me for keeping you a little past 12 noon? Amen. Still got time. Plenty of chicken on the buffet tables, okay? I love you. God bless you. We love you.